Hi, and welcome to the Deep End Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Lasku, and I'm here to share the stories of coaches who are in the deep end, wayfinding through their learning journeys to support the development of others. Perfect. Okay. Welcome to our second episode ever of the Deep End podcast, uh, where I talk to coaches about their world and how they navigate the deep end. Um, It's such a pleasure to have you on board here, Mick. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe even uh, shed some light onto the listeners as to how we know each other? Okay. So um, I um, am a dad of two boys. Um, The oldest one's second year university, now 19, and a 16-year-old. And um, I originally was a, after I left school to become a sports journo, um, went and worked at the old Sun newspaper. That's how old I am. <laughs> the last, last two years of the afternoon paper in Brisbane. Only your older listeners will remember that. Um, the last two years, so I basically was a high school dropout, went and worked for two years, and then all of a sudden found myself out of a job. Um, worked around sports journo for a while, ended up at the Sunshine Coast um, as their sports editor. Um, the greatest job in the world, mm. being sports I get to think about sport all the time. Um, I was one of those kids who absolutely loved his sport, played cricket, footy, um, swimming, tennis, did everything, but uh, wasn't terribly great at anything, <laughs> but loved it, loved sport, uh, loved horse. My, my dad's a horse trainer, so um, had horse racing there, grew up with jockeys um, for anyone who's a racing follower out there. Uh, Jimmy Byrne grew up with me, who's the champion jockey in Brisbane for the last decade. Wow. He came to our place as a 15-year-old on work experience and never went back to school after it. And so sort of my parents became sort of de facto parents to Jimmy. Um, and he and I grew up together. So, yeah, so after that, um, I could see newspapers weren't in a great shape by the mid-90s. And I took a job in government. Um, I work in there. I currently work in the Office of Racing, but I've had stints where I was the Director of Policy, Sport Policy at Sport and Rec Queensland. Mm. Um, yeah. Then I did the, the dad thing. I put my then five, four-year-old, who hadn't quite turned five, and shout, shout out to Tracy, uh, who <laughs> held back the paperwork before she uh, registered him as a into cricketer and uh, took him over because we were about two blocks from the Sandgate Redcliffe Gators, which is... How my first intersection with you and your family uh, mm. was at the Gators as your cricket club. And um, I took him over there and there was about uh, 16 or 20 kids. And Adam Mab, who is a fairly famous, infamous, famous cricketer at uh, the Sandgate Gators, a real character, he was running me into cricket program. I don't know how Tracy strong-armed him into that. But <laughs> <laughs> he was running. He's like, oh, mate, can you come out and give me a hand with all these kids? So... You know, we, that's that's where it started. Started doing into cricket with five-year-olds and six-year-olds on a Friday afternoon. It was I was here. I was thinking it was lovely. It's five o'clock to six o'clock Friday afternoon in summer. I could have a couple of beers because we lived two blocks away. Or I could walk home, and the next thing I'm out on the field, and it just it just snowballed. I'm, I'm one of those people. Once I get into something, I really get into it. Mm. And um, so next thing I'm running the into cricket program, and I'm like. <laughs> How do we make it better? I think by my third year, which was Declan's last year in the cricket, we had the biggest centre in Australia. We had about 125 kids. Mm. Uh, just an enormous undertaking. By then, we'd roped in a, a, a number of the um, uh, number of the 
uh, older pl teenage players and thankfully we started there were some uh, women players around because they were much more helpful to get to come along and, and give us a handout um, as anyone who's been in club land would know that mm -hmm. it's always your women's teams and your older female teams that always volunteer for everything um, then I became the under eights coach which was quite the experience because I didn't really have any idea. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we rock up and oh, training goes in nets, doesn't it? So I've got seven-year-olds in the nets. <laughs> um, after about the second training session, I'm like, this is doing nothing. This is a bad idea. <laughs> so we moved out of the nets and we started to play. Um, I then got roped into being the junior president of the club, so I was mm. coaching the nines tens through to the 13s i coached those boys um i was very very fortunate i had a, a really hot crew of boys over that period mm -hmm. um, i think over the last two years about uh, six boys that i coached played first 11 at st pat's the the local catholic uh, christian boys college um there's i think there's four boys now that are senior players at the gators that that came through that team so um that which is a good strike rate as you know the, the yeah, the conversion from an under eight to nine size into into senior cricket is pretty low. So mm. I'm really proud of that. Um, we had some good success. I had some really good players. Um, at the same time, the same thing happened. I like I was coaching um, an under sixes and seven soccer team that my son played in. Like they're five, six, seven year olds. Like it was basically just standing around watching him laugh as they fall over. Mm. Um, and my son decided that he wanted to go play AFL. I grew up rugby league, rugby union boy. So we go over to the AFL field at the Sandgate Hawks, the local footy club. There's about 30 kids running wild on this field that was really dimly lit because the club was broke and the lights were terrible. Mm. Couldn't really tell how many kids they were. And they're like, they come out and they're like, oh, well, we've got enough for two teams, so we'll need coaches. Who can coach? <laughs> Look around, no one steps forward, so. Well, I suppose how hard can be to coach seven-year-olds. So, yeah. Anyway, so that was sort of my – so next time I'm coaching AFL and cricket at the same time. Um, so i just become a year-round thing for me. Mm. The next nearly decades. Um, but like I say, I, I'm one of those people when once I get into something, I get right into it. So mm. um, I wanted to keep working on how I could get better at coaching, um, and that's when – through um, acquaintances in common that I uh, first came across you and your work and had discussions with you. Um, I was extremely lucky when I, was, I had an under 12. I, I had this really good cricket team that was winning and, and that made everything seem really easy. <laughs> um, the footy, not so much. I had my under boys, when they got to under 12s, um, we went the entire season without a win. Oh. It was a very long 16 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it, it, looking back on it, it feels worse. In the moment, while it was bad, we were getting beat every week. We were competitive nearly every week. There was only six teams in our division, so we played the same teams over and over again. Mm. Um, but we were probably just, well, I was not very experienced. Um, and less about the actual teaching them football stuff, which also I wasn't terribly experienced at, but more about manipulating the team. Um, so... I basically, you know, in all good spirit of, you know, good sportsmanship, we had 28 boys. So each week up to six boys were missing out on a game. So I just did a roster. 
and I sort of put them in the buckets to try and make the team as even as it could be each week. Mm-hmm. Looking back now, with a bit more experience, I probably would have loaded up one of the weeks we played the second bottom team and tried <laughs> to a win um, so that at least, at least we finished with something. But I, I didn't do that and I stuck hard, um, I suppose. Having not been a great athlete myself, but really loving sport, I won I, my Right from the start when I set out, I want every kid to walk away knowing that, one, that I had their best interests at heart mm. and that it was going to be fun and everyone was going to get the same opportunity. Yeah. Um, and that's always been at the core of my belief in this. It's got to be a lot of fun. Um, and, yeah, so I've talked a lot to you. You want to <laughs> jump in any time, but that's... So like at least I always had that to fall back on. Then when I started to get into more involved, like through that under-12 season, I came across Gunny, Coach Gunn, anyone who has my name, who's an expert in skill acquisition and a former teacher and uni lecturer. And he was able to give me a more sophisticated framework around the things that I was seeing. I really wanted to ask as you were talking, which is yep. – um, you obviously kind of fell into coaching, which is I think most people do to start with. Um, how did you know you were being a good coach? Because I find it's really hard to know if you're missing the mark or not. Um, so I, like I said, it's something that is, um, I suppose, something I took from my my parents. And like I said, that they had all these apprentice jockeys, including Jimmy Byrne, but they had lots of ones who were less successful jockeys. But their whole thing was always to help them be the best version of themselves, whatever that journey was. Um, so I wanted to, as, as long as I made the kids feel like they were supported and it was a good environment to be around, it was safe and they were having fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that didn't matter whether, and I found there was different ways of doing it. Like even when, like I had the little kids AFL, I don't really know what to teach them and they like honestly they learn themselves but um you know you go and get the manual and had all these drawings of of you know kick to kicks and and i'm like this is boring for me <laughs> so i set them up to do the, the same kind of skill sets but do relay races mm. um where they compared against each other all the time and, and it, like it was there was lots of laughter and fun and whatever and that's really all I judged myself on, you know, was 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 it fun, and were the kids enjoying themselves there? And mm-hmm. you know, like I said, like I had that under twelve boys team, and even though we lost every set Sunday, and the parents would be devastated, and the boys were in the moment, like they desperately wanted to win. I had some good footballs, and we, that's why we're playing in a higher division because I had boys there who had dreams of you know making Lions academies and stuff like that, so they had to get good competition. Mm. But I also had boys who weren't, you know, they were just there to play. So, and there were some that loved, really loved footy. They weren't, just weren't ready because 12-year-old boys, some have grown, some aren't, you know. So the losing wasn't, but the parents found it more difficult to, to cope with. But every Monday afternoon, because we trained Mondays, those boys rocked up to training, ready to go to work again. And mm. never once was it a drag or were they complaining? By the time they got back there on Monday, they were ready to go again. I like to think that's because I created a fun environment for them to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, honestly, it was probably, probably that was, it was the year that was a turning point for me 
happiness when I really sort of thought, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I good at this? Um, what, you know, what is the, you know, what am I getting right? What am I getting wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I sought out a mentor, which was the, the, the best move I ever made. Yeah. And when I call him a mentor, he was both mentor and confessor. Mm. Um, filled both roles. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it was – and then you know, he was able to put in things that, you know, I, I knew within but, you know, at, at a certain level but didn't know. Things like that it's not you teaching them, it's them learning. So mm. it's not something you can progress. You can only give them the opportunity and put them in the environment. It, they'll all – take it on at a different rate. Um, you've just got to create the environment for them to do that. Um, yeah, so it was it was it was by far my most difficult season. Um, but it was the one that really led me to okay, if you if you want to keep doing this, which I did because I love being around the boys, you know, and by that stage my cricket team I had I had a couple of girls playing my mostly boys cricket team. So mm-hmm. all the kids I, like I really enjoyed being around them. I really, you know, value their time that they put in and I want to give them the best environment for them to to make the best of it for them it's yeah so that's that's how I judged it um, rather than on results and who made teams and whatever because those things outside I honestly by if I, I could go along if you want to run a book on um, kids sport it's a no-brainer because you just go wait till they line up before the game and you can just look at the two teams and go yeah, they've got eight really mature looking kids and they've got four the team with eight will beat the other team every time and that's mm. what kids sports all about and, you know it's, it's difficult for parents on the outside to understand that but having been in there and been with kids you'll see some kid who you know 13 14 year old boy who's six foot and everyone'll be going oh wow he'll, he'll be a good foot but you actually go he's like a big giraffe here yeah, he hasn't learned motor control and those sort of things so um you know you just see those things also like other things the second kid if you've got the first kid they're always a little bit softer a little bit nicer they haven't done the right if you've got the second kid especially if you've got an older brother the second kid will be much more rough and tumble they'll because they'll have done that at home um, they're more ready for it so so often you see those things so it's all those little things that you learn along the way and yeah i just I, like i really enjoy being with young people and and giving them an opportunity to have a great time the kind of time that i had in my sporting days because obviously i fell in love with sport and stayed in love with it mm-hmm. and i wanted to make sure they did too yeah i wanted to come back to the idea of a mentor um yeah. that season would have been really difficult so i can totally understand going out to somebody else and seeking someone but where do you go to look and, and how do you know that they're going to be a good person to talk to well i, I was enormously fortunate because um gunny was around the club um he like I didn't know him well, but he had a he's um, about the same age as my brother, mm. and so he grew up in a a wider. He has a lot. Gunny has about a million cousins, um, and he his cousins went to school with my brother, so we sort of knew each other vaguely. Um, and he then he just I think he took an interest because in this you know what's going on. There's this team at the club that doesn't ever win. Mm. Uh, lots of stuff going on you know around the club pressure was on talk about my team and not winning anyway because beautifully at the same time the two teams directly above me the 13s and 14s both went on to be premiers that year <laughs> I, 
I look pretty pale in comparison. <laughs> um, anyway, so like, yeah, and just, but I think, well, honestly, if you can get, if you find a teacher, because they're the best. Mm. They just are the best. They have such a, a knowledge of how these things work. And, you know, having my boys gone through school now and me being the kind of person I am always asking questions, you know, I asked the boys at an 18th at the end of last year, they just finished school, who was your favourite teacher? And it wasn't the obvious one. You know, it wasn't the, the guy who was the rugby coach who, you know, some of them really liked, some less so. But then boys mentioned a name and everyone, even boys who didn't have him went, oh, yeah, yeah, he really fights for you. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he would be a great teacher, you know. So teachers understand that, you know, about, you know, how you get everyone, give everyone their opportunity. They're, they're, they're teaching that all the time. So mm-hmm. I would say if you can find, if you're fortunate enough to find a teacher, grab that. And what were some of the things that you spoke about? Like obviously it doesn't need to be in, in total detail, but I think the the topics in which you sought out from somebody else or at least would find most beneficial when you would talk to them. So um, what Gunny helped me do was, I, like I was training a certain way, and I, I, I was always a believer that um, that training should try and replicate play. I, mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I found doing drills boring um, when I was a kid, and I I found boring to coach like that, so I didn't. So, so then Gunny helped me think about it in a way that delivered. I could measure whether I was delivering results by saying, break it down. What what problem are you trying to solve? What problem in the game is there? And then create the scenario to fit that problem. Mm. So that was the sort of thing. And we would, so then I started to do things like we would, you know, break up into small groups and it'd be, you know, six or eight. And it'd be like, you can't kick the ball until you've had three handballs. So making them think about getting themselves into space to be able to make that kick. Mm. And you could see them improve over time. Now, you don't improve that quickly that you we could quite win a game. But, you know, like I said, we, we in a very small competition, we we're always really competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could see the boys improving and you'd see them seeing it. Um, and that's and it, the same with cricket then. So when I was coaching my cricket team, I went back to coaching my older son started to play afternoon cricket at St. Pat's. So I coached his T20 team of an afternoon. I coached my under-11s son uh, in the mornings, uh, which is where I first met your previous guest, Darcy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'd set up scenarios. So, okay, um, every kid but boy, I'll say boy because mainly the boys, all all they want to do is open up the hip and smash the ball through mid-wicket. Yeah. So, okay. So what I did was I blocked off between um, long off and point and um, point with cones. No fielders in there. It's tipsy run. So that meant then all the fielders were stacked on the leg side. Mm. So they were going to get run out if they hit the ball there. So they were, <laughs> it did. It meant that they still had the the so and Gunny also taught me. That's affordance and constraint. Uh, <laughs> so, um, like that, would then I, I'd give them an affordance and put in a constraint, and they they could still do it, but it wasn't helpful. It was more helpful if they they looked to other shots. Mm-hmm. 
the kid, you know, bowling, pulling the ball down short. Okay. There was the old story of, you know, you just put the, the 20 cent coin on the, on the pitch, but there's no feedback off that. Like I tried that. There's no feedback if they miss and it's so hard to hit, you know, they're kids. So um, I just got the cones and blocked up the pitch up until the depth I wanted to bowl up because at that stage it's just practicing pitching the ball up. Mm. Okay. Because if they hit the cone, they got the immediate feedback that that ball's rubbish, mm-hmm. um, you know, using two sets of stumps, um, things like that. So they got got a feel for where their stump was, but also the bowl's got a, a line, an alleyway they could bowl that was just outside that they knew it was a good ball without it actually hitting the stumps. So, you know, and playing those sort of games and just playing and moving it around and changing it up um, and making it fun. And the other thing is kids love to compete. Mm. So put something on the line. Now, famously, my kids all play for chocolate frogs. <laughs> I don't know why, why, why chocolate frogs. I started with chocolate frogs, which worked better in winter when they were still chocolate frogs at the end of training. Mm-hmm. Some I found that quite often they were just chocolate in a bag. Yeah, <laughs> just goo. <laughs> but they would compete so hard for those chocolate frogs, even though they, they all knew everyone got a chocolate frog at that point. <laughs> But the winner got the chocolate frog. That was you were competing for a chocolate frog. Um, when I first started coaching the girls AFL at the Hawks, which so I coached boys through to under 13s, and then I gone two seasons where we won one game in two seasons. Um, it was probably time for someone else to have a go and see if they were any better at it. The club came to me and said, listen, we've got this girls team. They get beat 200 points every week. Um, you seem to love coaching. We can't find anyone to coach them. Give them a go. And fortunately, Gunny's daughter was in that team. Um, but there was also a lot, a lot of girls who were younger sister of the boys that I coached. Mm. So I knew some of the families. I knew that sort of thing. So give it a go. And because the girls, there was less pressure on the winning side. The girls' parents were just happy they were going out and playing. Yeah. And lots of the parents who weren't the younger siblings, they weren't AFL parents. So they didn't even watch AFL. So they didn't really know what was going on. So it allowed me to be really creative and try new things. Um, and that's where, like, you know, I'd have the AFL parent come and go, oh, my daughter, she doesn't seem to be you know, really aggressive at the ball. And I'm like, you spent 10 years teaching her to be nice and kind and gentle, and now you, you want, you've given her to me for six weeks and want me to turn her into a little savage. <laughs> give, give me some time with her, you know. <laughs> but... Um, and I suppose I'm jumping around a bit, but it, I, I remember listening to a podcast by um, uh, Anson Dorrance, mm-hmm. who's the great uh, American soccer coach. He coached uh, 27 ch- national championships at North Carolina and coached the men's Olympic team and the women's Olympic team. I remember him being asked, um, what's, what's the difference between coaching boys and girls, and men and women? He said, boys, they'll come to you and they'll try and do the really spectacular thing so they build a group, a tribe around them. The girls will wait till they've got a tribe and then they'll do the spectacular. So um, I worked really hard in that first with that first year of building a culture because the girls that come from, they just never won. Mm. They, they didn't think they could win. It just like it was outside their, their thought possibility. So we just built a culture where was everyone was really tight for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got about 
um, seven games in and all of a sudden it started to click. And by the end of the season, we actually, in the last round, we didn't make finals, but we beat the team that won the grand final. Wow. But those girls, you could come to my training and I'll always marvel at it over that next three seasons with that group of girls, which sort of lose half every year. The first year I only lost a couple. So we, we did that. We won. We came back the second year and the girls, we only dropped one game for the season, won the grand final. But you could come to training. You couldn't tell which girls went to which schools. Like they just come and their friends were the girls in the team, mm-hmm. not necessarily the girls that they, which had been completely different from my experience with the boys. Yeah. There was a really strong, it was two big schools that fed in most of the, the kids in my boys' team, mm-hmm. and they were completely their friends group all were remained around those their their school life. Um, whereas the girls, they got as tight with other girls from other schools. So once I had that had that culture of no fear, they would do anything for each other. Um, that's when they started to they would steal themselves to make the big tackle, and like. <laughs> A couple of years down the track, where I moved to another club and coached uh, with the under seventeen girls side. There we had a girl um, coach Gunny's daughter. It's grand final on lights. She's an under fifteen in an under seventeen's team. The grand finals on lights still in the balance, and the, the other team had a very very strong big girl, and she made a bust. And Gunny was the last girl between that girl and goal, and we could see it from where we were watching. You just see her look and go, this is all or nothing. And she just braced down and just pulled off. They just absolutely crunched this girl who she must have been giving away 15 or 20 kilos to. <laughs> and she just crunched her. And the whole team then, it, was, it happened right on quarter time, and the whole team just walked off going, this is going to happen today. We're not, <laughs> gonna, we're not wasting gunning. So, you know, building that real team culture of everyone buying in and really having love for each other and, and you know, not wanting to let each other down. Mm. I felt like I've got to say, I found it much easier to build than the girls, than the boys. Um, but it's probably something that, like, I, I knew and talked about it with the boys, but I didn't know how to build it as easily. But by the time I'd started coaching the girls, and it become a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I went and coached the St Pat's boys team, cricket team, I found that easy to build that that culture in there because they already do that school. They do so much of that culture building. I know you coach at Padua. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Darcy coached at Padua, she talked about last week. Yeah. Like that culture story, they're already brought together. Um, you know, so that was, that's like, it's really tribal. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, like, I talk about how I don't care whether you win or lose all the time. Um, you know, it's not, not about that. I did go down to, with the, the St. Pat's boys, the first time we took on an Ashgrove team. And I'd spent my entire life being thrashed by Ashgrove all over the place. I went to a much smaller school and I'd never actually seen an Ashgrove team lose anything. <laughs> I got down there and we're playing, you know, eight D's cricket. And there I go and talk to the other coach and she says, oh, if you don't mind taking the lead, she says, because I'm an art teacher and I don't, not really, don't really know cricket. I went back to my boys and went, right. I've told you before I don't care about wins and losses, but today we are not losing this game. This is the day I beat Ashgrove. Right. <laughs> we're, on, we're on this little tiny field down the back of Ashgrove, and they, they field at first. And because the field was small, 
they just packed everyone on the boundary. Mm. And of course, the boys could hit over the boundary. So like, okay, so when we get everyone, get right up close, we want to take catches because we need to get them out. We won't be stopping it on the boundary. The ball will be going too fast. It's too small. So yeah, that was my first. It's the only time I've ever put any pressure on a team to actually go out and win. Um, <laughs> so for my selfish reasons and the boys, lots of the boys, and I still, you know, I see them around town all the time and we always joke about how they gave me my first win against Ashgrove ever. <laughs> but that, yeah, like if you build like it, it become a fun thing. Like even the winning there, it was a fun thing for them to do for me. It wasn't like, you know, no one knows that they, you know, they knew me, they knew what I actually thought and what my values were. Um, and that's, I suppose, that the, the next thing I'll say is having those sticking to your values. Like people talk about kids today, and I'll always say this to people who are just commencing coaching. The number one thing about kids today, if you say one thing and there's a glimmer of light between what you say you're going to do and what you do, you've lost them. Mm-hmm. They, they hear context and nuance all the time. Um, they're really well taught in schools about those things. And if you do, you break their trust on that, you're finished. You know? So never never say, never offer them things you can't deliver. Yeah. It's a big authenticity thing, right? And I remember yeah. um, listening to Alana Thomas speak um, on a panel for like women in sport who's done yeah. so much for rugby union. Um, and the way she put it was around like boys need to perform to belong and girls often need to belong to perform. And I yeah, think of nice. most of the teams that I've played in, um, people don't really start to come out of their shell until they know that they're safe in that environment. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be the the one person that is so far beyond everyone else. So you kind of bring yourself back if you are the standout athlete to make sure that you fit in this team. And I've been working with volleyball recently and the you know, the academy boys train next to the academy girls and they are always so loud. Even the warm-up activities are just echoes everywhere and it's usually you can tell who it is because their voices just bounce off the walls and, like, the girls will do something incredible and be like, woo, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and, then, but like, and, you know, I don't want to tar all boys, but a lot of that's just bravado. Like, mm. it's not, like, they're noise for noise sake. Yeah. But I, my under 13s boys assistant coach, who was a really good footballer, um, great guy, uh, his, his younger son's a star. His older boy was a younger player playing in my team, but he can't help me out. And he was like a real footy guy, right? So mm. it's like, you know, really intense and really, like, he and I worked through that over the season. Um, and he, you know, I, I know he's become a better coach for having done that for just. You know, chilling and going, hey, they'll come at their own rate. Like, you don't need to hype it up. But he then had a daughter who played in my girls' team, and he came out one day and he came to the dressing room beforehand. And it's just like, there's a million conversations going. So, bang, 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 like, he looks at me and goes, Mick, what's going on here? I'm like, mate, this is not like the boys. If the boys' pregame sounds like this, yeah. their minds aren't there. But I said, if the girls don't do this, they're not there. They're like this is their bonding, so they then feel safe, and they'll go out and warm up, and they'll be all about business because they've got their their bonding done here. And that's I said I see this all the time. <laughs> I always remember my second grand final with this at the Hawks. 
Um, so the first year, we the third year, second year I coached them, we won the premiership. We went back to the grand final the third year. We were the last team into finals. We won each of our finals. We had to win every week, and we won by less than a kick every week to get through to the grand final. And I remember we were playing Ken Kedron, and we were two goals down at half time, but it, we weren't in the game at all. Mm. But it could easily be a lot more. It was just some really great player, a couple of my bigger players who just saved us. We could have easily been at five goals. We come into the halftime huddle and it's silence. <laughs> and I'm like, this is really bad. I'm like, girls, it's two kicks, right? We're still in this. But it was just silence. <laughs> and then one of the girls said, why don't, Kirsty, why don't you get up and do your happy dance? And this girl got up and started doing this chook dance. And <laughs> everyone started laughing. And it just broke the mood. And then it was like, yeah, we can do this. We're only two goals down. Anyway, we got back to two goals all. And then they got a behind in the last 30 seconds or something and beat us right by, by a girl who eventually play um, AFLW. She's an absolute star. She plays over at Grange now. Mm. But, she, like, but like that, it, like they need to be bonded. That, that in that time of fear, they had to just break the ice that way. If a boy got up and did a chook dance at, at half time, the boys wouldn't, they, they'd go out and the next six goals would be the oppositions. They would just like, they wouldn't be able to get their minds back on track. Yeah. The girls were overthinking, you know, over intense. They just need to write, you know, get back on the lap. The circuit breaker, right? Um, yeah. I have a question around like unconventional training design because yeah. I think it would take most people a lot longer than two weeks to realize this shoving seven year olds in the net isn't a good idea. I'm going to try something else, right? Like most people would just conform for conformity's sake, because that's what everyone else does. Even like having a, a gruff football guy next to you going, why aren't you doing it like the way that everyone else has? How do you go about that? And has it ever stopped you? Um, yes, probably <laughs> it has. Not for long, but um, <laughs> I suppose, like I say, I, I am someone who uh, has dives deeply into this. So um I started to listen to the podcast, the English guy who was working for Sport England, who was doing the coaching education over there. Um, and his, you know, his um, thing to burn all drills to the ground, all drills are bad. And I, it all, so much of it lined up with, with how I thought. And I remember back, so like I'm that old, we used to play in the backyard and have, in my neighbourhood, we would have 20 kids in the, my next door neighbour's backyard. And he was like, um, 23 or 24 when I was 11 mm. and he was a wharfy and he used to work morning shifts so he'd be home in the afternoon and <laughs> so mad to think about it he then had this invasion of neighborhood kids in his backyard and he'd be running rugby league games or cricket games and he'd just be he'd be coaching refereeing and playing all at the same time and I'm like um, that's how we learn like I learned nothing at all the school trainings or like all the formal training. I don't think I learned a damn thing about any sport. Mm. I learned in his backyard. And I can tell you how I know because when I bat, I, can, I can't hit uh, through covers and I can't hit through mid-wicket because the shape of our ground was a T-shape, had two houses. So if you hit, there was no value in hitting into the house and you had a good chance you could get caught off the house. Mm -hmm. So you either had to hit really straight or you had to play behind square. 
and that's all I can do. I can't play. <laughs> I cannot play a cover drive for the life of me. So, like, I now know I, there was nothing I learned in the nets because net affords you opportunity to hit the ball anywhere. But mm. I learned nothing in all those net sessions of playing from grade five through to grade eleven cricket every to train twice a week. Our season had run for term four, term one every year. Mm. I learned nothing because <laughs> I can't play cover drive, and that's proof of it. So, you know, I learned that and. Funnily enough, he then went on, his son uh, has gone on to be a really, really good rugby league player, the best player in the Queensland Cup. He had a season with the Broncos and I, I, I emailed him to find out whether he'd uh, done the same thing with his son. And he said, oh yeah, we lived in the backyard. So I could just imagine Murphy would be there coaching his son just like he coached all our, us kids. Yeah. You know, we had boys. We had two boys that played first grade rugby league. We had three boys who played Premier League cricket. Mm. Uh, you know, we had one boy who played who played in those backyard games who ended up playing for the Bulls, uh, Scott Williams. So, you know, facing Scott Williams with a double taped up tennis ball <laughs> off about twelve meters was absolutely terrifying. Uh, <laughs> Scott was as fast a bowler as Queensland's produced in the last thirty years. I reckon he was terrifying. Yeah, but, but like he was playing, and like Murphy. Scott, pull it back on the little kids. But if it was you know me who two or three years younger than Scott, just let him have it. Yeah, <laughs> there'd be nine year olds there. Be like Scott, bring it back. <laughs> bring it him only, you know. So, um, and I, like it was so much fun. Like, mm. and no one remembered the score. Like, you know, we play, you lose, you win. No one really knew. You go home, you wake up the next day, go back, and there'd be a different group of kids there. So you jumble up the teams. Because you wanted to be competitive. Mm -hmm. That's where I learned that it being fun and being competitive and not worrying about scores was the the important things. And everything else fills in underneath that. And honestly, no one says going playing in minutes is fun. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) even trying to make it fun. Like there was a part of me who went way too hard in the direction of like screw the nets like we're just going to go straight out of the nets and then I realized that it's such a a comfort thing for so many people it's a routine it's an expectation you can't just uproot that entire thing immediately and so then I started leaning towards well can I just make the nets more entertaining and that's genuinely been more difficult than any sport I have played or any other sport that I've coached because you're trying to take this impoverished almost like soul-sucking environment and try to make it somewhat engaging when there's a beautiful field literally yeah. behind mm-hmm. you. <laughs> yeah. and no that, one wants to use it. Your, your comment about the expectations, so right. As my boys got older, we would book in maybe once every three weeks, I'd give up and let them have a net session. <laughs> because like that, like that, because they're, oh, well, Ricky Pony trains them in there. Yeah. But you don't know the backstory of Ricky Ponning, who he played all day, every Saturday and every Sunday. He's broke club, rode his bike there, played for every grade as a 12 and 13-year-old. His mother said he'd be there from morning, right drill dusk, he'd come home for dinner. So mm-hmm. then Sunday for his whole. So he's played so much cricket that he can be in the nets. It's just an add-on for him. You are 11. You have not played that amount of cricket. So <laughs> you can be playing more cricket. And there's a great story about Sachin Tendulkar, who used to play, and you've seen, we've seen pictures of footage of the big flats in India where there's like 20 games going on. Mm. And they talk about Sachin because uh, he loved batting. 
he'd just go to one, he'd bat, and when he'd get out, he'd just move <laughs> to the next one, just keep batting because he only wanted to bat. But he'd bat all day across a variety of games. And then that way you're getting different bowlers, you're getting different conditions, seeing a million different fielding styles, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's just like the growth that puts into your mind is just incredible. Mm. And that's, like, honestly, if I could, I, I found out last weekend I did have one effect on AFLQ and I'm, I'm going to claim it. I was, they've had a rule that once you get past more than 60 in a game, you can only get 60 added onto your for and against. That's always been the rule. Yeah. And I said to them, well, then once you hit that, then turn the scoreboard off because then that takes away the pressure from parents standing on the sideline watching scoreboards. Just turn the scoreboard off. Then coaches will be much less worried about pulling some kids off the field, um, changing some things up, making mm. it, you know, doing all that sort of stuff because it's not that scoreboard staring everyone in the face. Yeah. And I found out last weekend they introduced that rule this year. So you know. <laughs> that is awesome. So I'm telling you that because I, I was hammering, I'd hammer them every year when I go for my refresher course. I'd be like, why don't you turn off the scoreboards? Turn off the scoreboards. Mm. You know, um, it's just, it makes it so much less pressurized. It was all right for me, but especially by the time I got there, I had so much coaching experience. But if your first coaching gig is there, like, you know, you've got your personal ambitions. Even if you can damp them down, you've got a whole lot of ambitions standing on the sidelines watching you. Yeah. And it goes the other way. And I remember uh, I had a beautiful girl, Brooke, um, who was a very, very talented football player, but she was also she's doing medicine. Um, she's talented at everything. Uh, she was also lead in the, the Nudgy St. Rita's play. She did everything. But I remember she was in the team that got beat 200 points every week. And we, once we'd come good, we went to Cooparoo and we'd basically, to three-quarter time, they hadn't been past halfway until we were up by 40, 50 points. Um, Darcy broke her uh, thumb in that game. Mm-hmm. It cut him off in tears because she thought her mother might stop her playing footy again because she'd broken her finger again. Um, but we, I then pulled, I, I sent Brooke forward. She played fullback all the time. I sent her forward. And then she kicked three goals really quick, so I just dragged her off the field. Anyway, Cooper got through out the back and scored the last goal of the game. Right, right on full time. They scored the last goal of the game. So we beat, I think it was 46 to 6, something like that. We're walking off the field and Brooke says to me, you know, I'm really happy for them. It was terrible when you go home and you've scored no points. I thought, here's a 12-year-old who can see it, Mm. you know. Like, that. just, it's like so down on the importance of of where things fit. The the kids know and the girls, like, honestly. And like, when I say, because... I was so much more experienced by the time I got to the girls that um, I understood these things really and I was really, really confident in my rightness and my mm-hmm. righteousness on these things. So yeah, stand up for them. So um, like I had one day we went to Aspley and one of my girls got a bumping jewel for the ball with an Aspley girl and she, the Aspley girl fall, fall, fell, put her hand down and she broke her wrist and three of my girls stopped playing and ran over to her, mm. none of the Aspley girls. <laughs> and anyway, of course, parents are on the sidelines screen, chase the ball, chase the ball. Anyway, I just I emailed them on the Monday morning. I said, I would never coach that out. I would never tell them to go to the fallen opposition player. But they're, they're 11, 12-year-olds, and in that moment, their comrade wasn't 
the, their teammates winning a football game, their comrade was the girl who was on the ground with a broken wrist. Mm. And that was the important thing to them in that moment. I would never coach that out of them. Not yeah. at 11, 12. If they went and played in AFLW, I might be a little bit unsure that's the best decision, but in under 11 and 12, who cares? You know, and it was such a great show of humanity. Um, and I I can remember two of the three girls who went to was Charlotte Polinsky and, and um, you know, like just, it just the, like the humanity they showed. I, I would love for people to see those things and realise that that's what's a good part about sport. Mm. Um, and those, I forget who it was, but heard a podcast that the, the Latin root of competition is competeres, which actually means strive together not strive against mm-hmm. and i heard that i always thought that's the best thing i've ever heard mm. it is strive together you need each other to get better and to drive each other and that's within your team but it's also within your opposition too um, yeah it, so I've, I've like i've had a great journey i've learned a lot <laughs> um i've got right into it and you know now i know who bernstein is and, <laughs> you know, things like that like um but it's been such a great thing. Like so many of my kids have gone on to do things that you know outside. Like you know, I'm as proud of the. There was um, a beautiful little girl I coached who had an anxiety attack one night at a footy game, and just completely stood shock still on the field. And the game just went on around her. Anyway, the dad we got her off the field. Bad her. and the dad's like, "Oh, look, whatever you want to do, you know, whatever you think's best for Lucy is what we'll do." And he's like, well, she said she wants to stay with the team. So so she stayed with us for the night. Anyway, he told me we had a conversation. A couple of weeks later, we started winning games. And one of my girls, Scarlett, had kicked six goals to three-quarter time. And we were dominating the opposition. And Scarlett had realised where they were weak. And she just kept dropping into the hole. And if I had left her on there, she would have kicked 20 goals for the game. <laughs> and I'm like, Scarlett, you've got to come off three-quarter time. We're up by 60, no more. I don't know. So Lucy went into Scarlett's position. Next thing, Lucy kicked a goal. It's the first goal she's ever kissed. Her third year of playing, she kicks her first goal. I thought the parents on the sideline were going to rush the field. <laughs> it, the, the roar was just... And Lucy came off in tears because she did, couldn't believe, not from kicking the goal, but from the reception she got from her teammates. Mm. Um, and from that game on, that girl... Never missed a best and fairest that she can get for every game. She got a best and fairest vote. <laughs> confidence it gave her. Guess what? She's off doing medicine at UQ now. You know, and I'm not saying that, like, but that life affirming thing that she was an important person to us mm. as a team. Um, that she didn't recognise that, even though we all knew it and we loved her. She hadn't recognised it, and then all of a sudden, in that moment, she did. Um, that's that's bigger than any sporting. I always find it amazing that like there are people in this world who haven't felt that, like who have never played in a team, who never really saw why sport is not just, you know, selling your afternoons and weekends away to something else other than, you know, sitting around at home and doing nothing. And I think it's moments like those that kind of remind you, like you can usually tell who has played sport or at least team sport 
when you're hiring people, when you're talking about, you know, the camaraderie that you can build with other people. And it's almost like I remember being in, you know, high school and people would come for career fairs and remind you, like, you're not just like your grades, you're also all the other things that you've done outside of school and sport counts as that. So you should yeah. say you captained a team that you were, you know, you still play sport even though you lost for three years straight because that yeah. shows, you know, elements of your character that some people will never, ever see. Yeah, and that's a, like, I always think, because, um, you know, it's always the best and fairest that gets the big accolades and that sort of thing. Mm. But honestly, that's because the best is kid sport. The best and fairest is almost the most, always the most mature player. Yeah. Like that's just the most physically mature. The kid who's the coach's choice or the, um, some pats, I call them the servant, the, the servant of the team, that player, that's the kid who's grinding. That's the kid who's not giving life to your team. That's, you know, that's the great award because that's not something you do with skill or maturity or talent. That's just done because mm. of your personal attributes, you know, um, and it's such an important thing. Uh, like I coached the the worst cricket team. <laughs> I could, and St. Pat's got me in the beginning of last year. They were short, a couple of cricket coaches, and they said, oh, we've got the nine Bs or the seven Ds goal. I think you mentioned this last week when they've only got a colour. That's that's never a great sign. Can you coach, or, or we've got seven goals, and I'm like, well, no one will want to coach seven goals, mm. so I'll coach them. You know. So when I turned up, those kids were so happy to see because they didn't have a coach the year before. They'd gone through with no coach. So it was just one of the parents on the weekend taking them and doing their best, you know. Um, and we, like, I, we just said, they were terrible, right? Mm. They, a couple of them really loved cricket and a couple of them just wanted to be out there with their mates. And that's all those things are just as valuable. So yeah, let's just have a really good time. Let's laugh about it. I remember we, it was, um, it was a fair bit, it was the uh, year of the floods here in Brisbane. Mm. We got, uh, all the games got moved. And we got shuffled onto at St. Laurie's um, in Brisbane that we, we actually end up playing on top of the car park at the hospital. They have this, their, their outdoor ground, which has this rubberized surface, mm. right? So kids were gorgeous. I, I rock up and because like my boys are older, so all of a sudden I'm back with these, you know, 11 year olds again. And it's so cool. I get over there and it's like these massive big, fences all around and you're on top of the world, top of Brisbane, you can see down on top of everything. Anyway, boys come out anyway. If you hit it over the fence, do you get six? I just looked at it like, you can't even hit it off the square. <laughs> fence. Anyway, I'm like, I'll tell you what, I don't know whether you get more than six, but I said I will share something if one of you can do it. Anyway, we go out because so Laurie's win the toss, because they play on it all the time, you know, at lunchtime. They win the toss and send us in the bat first. <laughs> we were six for four after the first three overs. <laughs> and, we, and we only had eight players. So, <laughs> so with the, the next two, I'm like, just, boys, stop swinging. Like, <laughs> the balls, are, like, it just bounces straight over. The, I said, you won't get bowled. Yeah. You know, just don't keep swinging at the ball. Anyway. Well, I think we made uh, 24 or 25, which they got in about three overs. So I went and I saw the outcoach. I said, listen, we're, boys are here anyway. We'll just keep, you guys keep batting. You roll around again and bat again. He said, oh, we can send you back in and go look for the outright in a T20 game. 
Oh my god! It probably would have got it too, honestly. And then we got to, I think we got to the last week, and because we'd had there was COVID and the floods, it was all happening. We get to the last game, and we've only got four players because oh. a couple got shuffled up because of COVID into the team above. I'm like, these kids just really want to play cricket. I said, surely, you know, we can. Do. So one of the boys gets his younger brother, who's in grade five, to bring along two mates. Now, they don't play in the five A's. They're in the five C's. So they're also, they come. And anyway, the younger, right, we, we end up, again, we were like, so we end up, I think we end up with nine players. We were seven for 21 or something. Mm. Younger brother and older brother are batting together. It's the last wicket stand. <laughs> anyway, they batted through, because we this is only about six overs, so they batted through past 10 overs. I come off and the mum says to me, oh, um, the younger brother, He's is he okay out there because he's not scoring any runs? And I'm like, oh yeah, he's not scoring a lot, but you know they're getting buys and wides and stuff. Yeah, it's all good. No, it's all right. She's like, oh yeah, like just like asking. Well, like, no, it's all, all good. So they go back out and this little kid, and I'm thinking he's scored because like he's been out there for ages and there's been lots of runs while he's out there. He goes out, bats for another two or three overs. He gets out and he just burst into tears. Because he felt he'd let his brother down because his brother was not out at the other end. Oh. Right. So the older brother goes to console the younger one. Thankfully, I was able to get, for once in my life, I was able to get my phone out of my pocket quick enough to snap a photo of the, the older brother consoling the younger brother on the pitch <laughs> for their mum. Like, it was such a nice moment. I get home and do the school book. And she was right. He faced 42 balls without scoring a run. <laughs> Yeah. He just was not going to get out. He was just willing himself. He wasn't going to get out and let his brother down. Oh my god, I couldn't do that. Like I, uh, even I, just the the feeling would eat me alive. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, to this day, I don't know whether he didn't realize he hadn't scored because, like, there were so many runs while he, even while he was facing what league buys. Like, like, you never know. Mm. You know. So I don't know whether he actually knew he got out for a duck. Yeah. But yeah, he's forty-two ball duck. <laughs> when I had to do my little wrap up, I um got the I put in the, the little notes that they, they put out on the Monday morning that um it was a, the most courageous innings of our season and named him as the player but I didn't put his score in. <laughs> Can you just avoid that? Yeah, That's yeah, what exactly. you anyway, but yeah, like that for me when I look back, they're all the great moments. Yeah. And if you've got a question, I do want to get to some Darcy stories because that was the most incredible interview I've ever had. I cannot believe that. I don't know. She's not 18 yet, is she? I don't think so. She's still year 12, yeah. She's in year 12. Yeah. Right? I'm 50 and I only just, I know less about coaching than she does. <laughs> what an incredible little human she is. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really grateful she gave me a shout out, but. I would love to. There's a story I have about Darcy. So, like I said before, I found Darcy in my brother's, in my son's under-11s cricket team. Yeah. My son had, because um, she was the only girl on the boys' team, my, but my son struck up a friendship with her because he's like, he would chat to anyone. So she, he probably drove her nuts. <laughs> boys. Um, about geography and history, because that's his two great loves. <laughs> I went out and watched her, and I thought, that girl's got something. She mm. 
Anyway, I watched her because, like, she's playing the boys, so she's not as strong as them, but she just manipulated the field all afternoon. And she just didn't get out. And I'm like, I said to her dad, I said, oh, um, I've got the girls' AFL team. Um, Darcy should come and play AFL with me because <laughs> her son, her brother, younger brother, was playing at Maine, but Maine didn't have any girls' teams. Mm. I'm like, send her over to me. So she comes and plays. Anyway, but like I say, we got started to get really good. We went down to Redlands against a, a poor team. And um, they in the first quarter, I think we, we were like two goals, nine or something. They hadn't even looked like getting their hands on the ball. But all their team had rolled back behind the ball because they just couldn't get out. They were locked in for so long. Anyway, I knew we, got, like, we had them covered. So we come in at quarter time. I said to the girls, listen, this is going to get really, really scrappy um, unless we find a way to get the goal. So what you need to do, and I said, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I need you girls to think about this. But you need to manipulate where they are to get through because I said they're all going to get back behind. So whether you, you know, there's all kinds of different ways you can do it, but you need to be able to move the, those girls out of the way to get through. Um, so we go back out and it starts the same way. We're like one goal, three in the second quarter. Then all of a sudden, um, one of the girls takes either gets a free kick or a mark you know, sort of at centre-half forward in a girls' game, which is about probably 25 or 30 metres from goal. Mm. Too far for it to kick for goal. Next thing, Darcy runs around behind her and asks for the handball and goes and kicks to about 20 metres out. But of course, all the Redlands players all followed the ball then. So the girl who got the ball then just kicked straight back to the centre where there was no one. I'm like, that, that looks pretty smart. <laughs> we get the same position, almost exactly the same position again, not long after, and she does exactly the same thing. And they all roll, we do the same thing to score the goal again. So I'm like, this is not a fluke. We've worked it down. The third time it happens, in a similar sort of position, she tells her not to pass the ball, but she does the run. So all the Redlands girls follow, and the goals that don't up in front of her. Right? And she did that. She was eleven year old when she did that. So I'm like, that is a smart girl. But her ability to manipulate a, a, a field was just like for someone that young. It was like chess. Yeah, she was chess all the time. Oh yeah, it was so smart. Oh, that girl's easily playing chess, and everyone else is playing checkers at this point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was just. Yeah, I'll never forget. I, I think just driving home after that going. I was an 11 year old girl worked that out for herself. <laughs> and But then, because that teaches all her teammates, then went, wait a minute, we saw what happened there. Like, we know, because, like, you can, I can teach to them at training all the time, and we would do stuff like that about opening up the field. Mm. So, for the girl, like, all the kids, they love kick tennis. Yeah. Right? I want to play kick tennis. So, my kick tennis was you'd start with, um, one player, and then you have to kick to your players and bring them over. Well, of course, you start eight on one, and then it's seven on two, and they move across. And you've got to bring them across to your side. But what I would do is I'd manipulate the size of the field all the time. So sometimes it'd be a wide, thin field, other times big, narrow, long. So mm-hmm. I'd do that all the time. And like trying to teach, like think, have them thinking about that spacing and where, that, where the space is. But Darcy just 
she just went out and did it. So she'd been doing it her whole life. <laughs> I wonder how often we coach that out of people, like just as our immediate sort of like knee-jerk reaction as coaches to want to solve the problem for other people. Oh. Like imagine how much of that we wouldn't be seeing right now if you had told them exactly what to do in that moment. 100%. And that's like, and that's, that's, <laughs> and I, I probably, had I been coaching a team that was, in a life and death struggle for the win of the game, I might give them the cheat code. You know? mm. But because I had such a good team and I had such confidence in them, everyone's relaxed. Yeah, you know, okay, well, you work it out for yourself. Funny enough, I did the same thing with the under 17 girls, and I didn't tell them what I was doing, but I was manipulating the, the field for that same kick tennis. And after it, I said to them, okay, so what do you think we were working on there? Anyway, one of the girls looked at me like, you're doing learning objectives, aren't you? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, what, what was my learning objective? <laughs> they're like, oh, thinking about where the space is. And I'm like, see, you, they will get it eventually, you know. You might, depending on their age group, you may have to breadcrumb it for them. But mm. then when it learnt, they do it. It's sticky. It's so much more sticky when they've discovered it, or their, their teammates discovered it. Because you, got, especially when you're like me, you're the Saturday morning dad coach. Um, even though it's not any of their dads, but I, I look like their dad. So it, it's when you're that, then they're really good at not listening to their parents. So they're not they're only partially listening to you. Mm. But when they see one of their teammates do it. Um, or they discover themselves that's sticky, you know, and, and yeah, and that's the advantage I think of having you know, people like yourself or Darcy, people who aren't, who don't look like their dad or <laughs> their mum at their netball game, um, coming in and doing it because so, they're so much more alive to what you're doing. Work mm. uh, with a couple of really great assistant coaches, uh, young senior footballers, uh, women footballers with my girls team. And their, their, their awareness and then watching what they did and listening to them was like 10 times as sharp as what it was with me uh, just because of that. You know, like it's, they really looked up to them, whereas I, I just could have been their dad. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, They're like all those things, like, like we're such unique creatures that all those little things just add up um, along the way. It's really worth being, everyone should be aware of that. And that's why, you know, if you have um, people come in you can get giving up a training session to have you know one seems even if they coach something that you like particularly would have done the experience is what matters you know mm. um, and those things are the height they're the things that they'll take away um down the track and they'll learn something from them um and it'll give you a chance for them to not have to listen to your voice for a bit yeah which is always really helpful if especially if you're coach you on you on you on the same group mm. bring outside stuff just again makes them think you know they have a different they're, they're listening they're at their antenna up um i was lucky enough i had um uh, eric hipwood come in and took a session with my boys wow eric was like 19 i don't he may not have even debuted at that stage mm. but eric grew up in a footy club his grandfather kicked off the aspen footy club i believe mm -hmm. his dad was one of the so he'd grown up on a footy club watching people be coached. He came in and ran a training session and, oh, my God, it was just, it was amazing. Like, he's, 
it was it was really similar to like Darcy coaching them. It was, and they were just so alive to everything he said. And yeah, it may be just coincidence, but we went out. And that was our only win for the season was that week. <laughs> uh, I think it was. I think it may have been we were a little bit fortunate. We had um, access to one of the boys who was in our age group, but played the the year up. Uh, was up to come and play with us that week, and that was enough to get us over the line. <laughs> um, but it was also the week there. A kid was there. And that, but that turning on their brains, then you know, and, and having them have different experiences is really important. Mm. I know Coach Gunny. He taught. He he used to always like things, and he, I did it, and it works works much better with the girls than it does with boys. But um, when you're getting to split up into teams, uh, getting to line up in alphabetical order of first names, last names, all of a sudden they're thinking, they're talking to each other, they're having to negotiate. Their brains are active. They're not just you know, this side and that side, you mm-hmm. know. Um, uh, you know, tallest to shortest is, is you know, really easy. It, it works pretty well because that does give you um, like a bit of a maturity barometer. Yeah. Um, but but having them find their names and you just swap them over teams like midway mm-hmm. through. If one team's too good for the other, you just swap them. That's like, you know, even it up, make it really competitive. Do that all the time. That's, you know, those sort of things, those little tricks that te- only teachers know uh, work so well. Yeah, and I think it's um, it's being open to moments like that. Like the, it's almost the the micro steps of coaching. Like you wouldn't yeah. notice them if they weren't there, but you see it immediately when it happens. You're like, oh, have I been missing this the whole time? Like, yeah, yeah. And, yeah and, and yeah, and that's I suppose the other thing about having a mentor is um, it gives you an opportunity to be really um, humble about what you're doing. Mm. You know, it means you know you're going to have to discuss and you know discuss what you're doing openly and be really open about whether you're getting things right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the other thing, if you, any junior coach out there, new junior coach, don't be scared to get stuff wrong. You won't kill them. You won't. You no careers ending in under eights. You know, that's uh, no AFL career has been stopped in an under eights footy game. It's just, it's just a pathway. And sometimes. Trying stuff that didn't work works out better in the end anyway because that gives them a difficulty they've got to work through too. Mm. Like I remember, I had I tried it with the boys. They hated it. Was um, playing um, tag, but the only the the person being tagged could run. Everyone else had to walk and they had to handball the ball and you had to try and tag them. And because like all the boys hated it right? because. Especially the your better players because they're really athletic. They could just run down kids at will, but all of a sudden, they you took away their athleticism. But like you said about the experience and about giving them, you have to meet them along the way. They hated it so much that even though I knew it was really good for them, it became not good. Like it became the environment, like it just didn't work because they hated it so much. They weren't learning anything from it. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's a bit like giving them nets every, you know, if they're under 13s, every third week they get a net session. If they work hard, you know, you can use it as a, a carrot, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> work hard, you get a net session three weeks' time because they, 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 they do want to emulate some degree. They're, um, they're, cricketers do net. Um, I think that if they went to AFL training now, it would look very different to what it would have looked 20 years ago, 15, even 10 years ago. With cones and things like that, I've been to 
AFL training sessions, and it's a lot more informal. And you know, as if you or I were coaching, would look like that, where it's game simulation mm. um, all the time. They do lots and lots of that now. But cricketers, because of the nature of it, nets are a thing. They just don't, don't have the opportunity to be out on the field all the time. For if you've got four teams, they can't all be on the field. So, and, yeah, and also, um, especially at you know, the just the, at the local level, um, people work during the day, so you, you're, you're training at night and you can't be playing out on the field because all the fields are lit, all those sort of things. So, you just got to make the best of what you've got. But by the time people have got to senior cricket, They've already played a lot of cricket. Mm. That's yeah, it's it's honing and sharpening. You know, they'd be better off on a field doing stuff if that was the, a way to do that. But yeah, you have to work with what you've got. Yeah, and especially at the junior level, like you're never going to know if it's bad until a kid comes up to you and be like, "I hate this." <laughs> so you kind of need to get to that point. And if you care, like if you genuinely care about the the people who are in your charge in that moment, you'll never do something catastrophically wrong. It's the people who are who absolutely could not care less what these kids think of them. They walk away content, even if there's you know a kid crying in the corner or if yeah. they all sit there just deflated. And I was super lucky that I didn't really have too many of those coaches, and so that those are the people that I kind of emulate now but that yeah. and in spite of the coaches that were maybe like that yeah, yeah. and I, like I I like to think that I developed because because I was so big on trying to develop their trust and never let you know tell them. so if things like that happen and they, they really really hated it like I'm again I don't want to ruin their career it's the next thing they'll stop coming to train like mm. I want them to leave train going that was good fun I was with my mates and we did this thing and yeah, it might have been hard. Like things, sometimes things will be hard, but there's a difference between having to endure and doing stuff. Because by the, if, once they're hating it, you're not learning anything anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like my, I could, my younger son is not great at math. So, but if I may do the harder math, he'll learn less doing that than he'll do doing the easier math because he can do that. You know, it's hard. It's not still not easy for him, but he can endure that. To that threshold, which keeps him in the game. Mm-hmm. When your kids stop coming to training, that's yeah, that's an awful sign. And honestly, I had when I coached down twelve boys, there was one dad right at the start of the season, maybe the first game or the trial game. Even he basically dragged his son into the change rooms, and he said to me, he said, "This is Oscar. Oscar doesn't want to play, but I'm not having an eleven-year-old that's sitting at home on the couch every Saturday morning, so." He's coming to play. Do with him as you need. Anyway, Oscar was quite reluctant and a little difficult. In As I said, I had 27 players and my assistant coach took a new job, which meant he was on the road for long periods of time. So I basically had a group of 27 kids on my own, 11 and 12-year-old boys. It was my hemis- it was, it was It was a terrible season. Not just because we didn't win any games. <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Um and, um, but my favorite, one of my favorite moments of that season was our last training session after we lost 15 straight games. I look up, they, they were going for their, their jog, which I, I got rid of that, but at that stage I needed that time because I was only getting to train just so it was staying. So I needed a little bit of time to be able to set up a field for them. So go for your jog. And there was Oscar out the front leading the jog. For the first time I'd seen him all season, he was at least seemed to be happy to be there. So. Got to the end of the season, his dad came and thanked me. He said, listen, 
I know it was tough times, but he's actually ended up having a pretty good season. He's told me that he doesn't want to do AFL again next year because he just doesn't like the game. But he's going to, he's happy to go and do basketball, said. He said, I, I think if he hadn't got through this season, I wouldn't have got to that point. So that's a win. So, you know, I'm like, well, that's great. You know, so, uh, yeah. Moments like that make it worth it, right? Yeah. Oh. And then you wouldn't look. Next thing, Oscar is my, I always do, was my um, Woolies um, bag packer on a Saturday morning. Um, I, when I go in to pick up my groceries, <laughs> Oscar was on the on the machine there packing bags, and was the A grade bag packer. He was like Tetris to it. He <laughs> packed the bag so perfectly. So yeah, he got he came up with a skill. He found a life thing he was good at. But, uh, yeah. um, and, and he every time I come in, big smile, happy to see me. I'm like, well, that kid had a tough season under me, mm. but he's still happy to see me. So that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, couldn't I, have been I, too I've bad. Seen other coaches around that I'm pretty sure people would cross the street um, to avoid them rather than having to speak to them. So um, I, I'm happy to say I don't think that I've had that happen yet. <laughs> Likewise. I'd love to think people would come and say hello. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and I suppose when Darcy said those lovely things, but, you know, I did it the other day with um, Lily, who was in Darcy's footy team, Lily. I coached her first under-13s game and she coached her first under-13 game last Sunday. <laughs> so I went over to watch her her coach, um, which she did a really good job. Her team was heavily beaten and she may have a tough season. But I said to her, I said, listen, just remember I went 18 straight games before I won one. So, mm. And she's like, Michael, don't even joke about that. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, sure it I'm sure it won't happen to you, Lily. You'll be fine. <laughs> Like and, and, and like I, I'm genuinely interested in you know how the kids that I coach come out the other end you know not just in the immediate sporting thing but you know in their in their lives and you know if they get on and do something good I remember I coached a boy in cricket at the Gators in under tens and he was actually eligible for under elevens but only by like three weeks mm. he went and trained with the under elevens who were a really hot team and you know how under elevens the first competitive year of cricket is when you first time you're out you're out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the under-11s coach and the boy's dad came and saw me and said, listen, because you know, I was also junior president so I could organise these things, and said, listen, he's probably going to struggle in under-11s and he might be better suited back in your team. Is that okay? And his dad's like, yeah, because he's going off to Nudgy next year and we don't care if he plays in the Jays, but just he's had a season of cricket under his belt where he can... You know, go along and make friends in his cricket team in his school and that sort of thing. Yeah, no worries. Lovely kid. Um, not good at cricket. <laughs> but I remember um, the Ibumpin local festival we have in Sango. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard this boy on the back of a truck playing guitar and when he started to sing, because he had a really um, unique, rusty, vo- raspy voice for a 10-year-old, and I heard this boy start singing. I look around and that's him. He's up there playing this beautiful guitar, singing. And thought, well, you know, like he he's he's got something in his life. You know, he's he's really talented at something. So, you know, he mightn't have been the world's greatest cricketer. <laughs> he had a good season with us. He and he's got something. So, yeah, all like when I see those kids thriving, that that makes me happy. Mm. 
I almost wish you could. I remember sitting at a conference for HPE and um, we had to, it was like a writing competition where you had to just write something that you'd learnt um, over that period of time. And I wrote an open letter to one of my favourite um, physical education teachers and mm. I heard later on that like it genuinely made her cry. It won me a bottle of champagne as well, more importantly, which I then couldn't bring back to Canberra anyway. <laughs> so I had to offload that onto a friend of mine. But like the fact that I could actually stop and write, that was really cool. And I wonder if like one day we almost do like a letter collection service if kids even know how to write letters anymore. Hopefully they're old enough now to know how to write a letter. And you almost just like find somewhere that you can send them to and you give them back to coaches that meant something to you. Because we never find out whether or not it was a good or a bad experience. Like I I just, I'm so ambivalent as to whether or not I've made any impact at all. (laughs) Well, I, I, um, my wife served on the, the footy club committee for a while and she was the registrar for two or three seasons. And because I, I would do it, I, I'd get to the start of a season and I'd look at my, who my regos are and who was missing from last year mm. and do the follow-up, you know, are they coming to play? You know, not because I just wanted to make, obviously I wanted to fill my team one, but also I want to make sure that, that they felt like they were important to the team. Yeah. You know, whether, whether, however, whether good or whatever they were, that they were important and it was part of our team and we wanted back with us. She was hot on the community. Like, why aren't we surveying the kids who don't come back the next year mm. and surveying them, you know, finding out why they didn't come back? Because some, like, sometimes there's lots of reasons. I remember when I stopped coaching the boys in under 13s, I ran to one of the mums. And she's like, she said to me, oh, are you coaching the 14s next year? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not. Someone else is coaching. And she's like, oh, thank God. She said, Ian would want to come back if you were coach. But um, I, I really can't. I've got two other boys who are uh, high needs and their dads fly in, fly out. It's just really difficult for the footy thing for me. So she said, oh, Ian won't want to come back if you're not the coach. I'm like, that's obvious, <laughs> you know. Um <laughs> Especially because, like, and, and, you know, so I find it really nice. And Ian taught me a lot. Like he, um, he Ian had um, was autistic, and you know, he taught me because it was all the things you don't think autistic kids are. Mm. Uh, autistic kids don't like they lots of times they're sensory, and that's really um, all Ian wanted to do is crash into people. <laughs> uh, he was big and tall. He's a January baby. He's very tall. Um, and he loved physical contact, which some of the other boys found difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. He was crash because he was also he just crashed you like it was like a he was a big giraffe. Anyway, so I'm like, well, okay, Ian found kicking really difficult. So I'm like, he could be a ruckman because he will jump into the other kids. <laughs> but then also he kept giving away free kicks. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. anyway, we were at this little ground, and I could hear his mum yelling. Ian, keep your eyes up because he's giving away the free kicks because he wasn't watching the ball. He was just crashing into the opposition. And I thought, there it is. But he 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 never looks you in the eye. You know, he, like his autistic um, it meant that he didn't look. He never looked you in the eye. So then I got the boys around him. When you're around the ball, ears rocking. Last thing before the ball, go eyes up, Ian, eyes up. You know, and all of a sudden, Ian got this thing that he was good at. He was good at rocking. You know, and he developed. I remember right towards the end of the season, Ian took a mark, which would be, I'd say, his first one in three years, 
turned around, delivered a kick, and one of our players marked it. Now, I don't know whether that was the player he was aiming for. I can't be sure of that, but one of our players marked it. His mum was running water. She cried. He jumped up and punched the air, and his mum cried. <laughs> and I, I, that's how much it meant to that, that family, you know? Mm. Like, this, here's the kid that, in another environment, would have sat on the bench for the season. And we found the thing that he could do, which gave him the confidence to do something else. Yeah. That's why we coach, right? Like, coach, because we're giving kids opportunity to be better and be fulfilled. You know. Well, I'm sure we could talk for easily another two hours and we definitely have more topics to cover. Um, but I did want to thank you for your generous time today and um, a lot of the topics that I think will resonate with just your average coach. Like this is yeah. definitely for the people um, and I think it's really nice to know that stories like those exist. So if anyone's ever hesitant or not quite sure if they're doing a good job, they can hear like there are little moments that you'll never find out, but I promise if you care, you're probably doing yeah. a good job. Yeah, so if if you if you care enough that you're worried whether you're doing a good job, there's a chances are that you are doing a good job. Exactly. That you're you're self reflecting, you're thinking about, um, and honestly, just like I'll reiterate what Darcy said so well last week. It's got to be fun. Mm. You know, you won't learn in Robertson. Think back on the best teachers you had. They were always the teachers you connected with, because they made it enjoyable. Like fun's probably the wrong word, except. Sounds like it's frippery. Yeah. It's enjoyable. It's going to be enjoyable, which can mean it's tough at times and whatever, but you celebrate those tough times. And that we, um, Shane, my under 13s coach, I talked about, he was a CrossFitter. So he used to, we used to do Tabata runs, Monday training, do the uh, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off sprints. They're tough. Mm. And they're probably not really that necessary, (laughs) but. The boys, it become this thing that we do Tabata. We can run out games because we do this Tabata. You know, like they convinced themselves of something. Whether it was there or not didn't matter. Mm. Uh, they enjoyed doing it. They, they'd slap each other on the back afterwards, at, you know, or they're lying on the ground. It become a fun part, it, enjoyable part of not a fun thing. Yeah. <laughs> you strive well, together, right? As long as it, you yeah, wouldn't do it by yourself. <laughs> no way in the world. I'm, I'm, I'm across the now myself and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do 5 a.m. CrossFit and I wake up and I, because my crew are there, I've got to get there. Yeah. That's, we hold each other accountable. Mm. Terrible in the moment, but we all enjoy each other's company and push together. And I'm 50-year-old nearly and that's it's still working. So if it can work for me, it'd be working. you want that to be working for your 8s, 9s, 10s, 11-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's been great to catch up with you. My my pleasure. Trust me. I can't wait to listen back to this myself, actually. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Like, as I said, I really enjoyed. We didn't even get on my weightlifting coaching. I know. I told you we have so much more to cover. (laughs) I've got four four kids going down to the state championships this weekend down the Gold Coast. So, (laughs) and same thing with them. Like, even weightlifting, it's just fun. We Mm. get there, we're high fiving. They're showing me videos of the lifts they did when I wasn't there. They're, you know, sending me memes, you know. <laughs> um, you know, like it's just about being fun and enjoying yourself. And that's what that's your best learning environment you can have. Absolutely. No, yeah. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, maybe we'll get the inside scoop as to how they go and your reflection yeah. of that next time. The next time we'll do the whole Bernstein thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much there. <laughs> so much there. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Deep End Podcast. I hope this episode has left you with more questions than answers. Keep treading water in that deep end. We need coaches like you in this world.